economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Lawson Medlin, producer and graduate assistant-elect for the Gortney Institute. Today we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics, Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics, Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research, and finally, our graduate assistant, Luke Graham. All right, so we're going to go on a little bit more of a faith journey today with Peter leading us through a prodigal son and thinking about the issues, both economic and philosophical and theological regarding that. And I couldn't help but think about uh, good old President Biden uh, and the connection there with uh, that there might be with the sons coming up. Oh, I took on debt and I spent the money all on cars and food and, and going out and partying. And, and now uh, President Biden is forgiving that debt. And, and then there's some other sons out there that say, hey, wait, that's not fair. I, I didn't take on any debt and I worked hard to, to not take on debt while I was in school. So I don't know. Is there any connection there, Peter? I think so. At least, you know, I, I'd say superficially, there is a, a, a big difference, uh, which is whether or not the government is in the right position to make that call. And so in the parable of the prodigal son, which we'll talk about throughout the podcast, uh, the father had absolute authority. And so whatever he did with that authority should have been acceptable to both sons. Authority and uh, knowledge, like family type knowledge, yes, right? Yeah. Personal knowledge of the two of them. And Yeah. And where, whereas, you know, the government, if you view the government's job to, uh, I don't know, be fair to the poor or something like that, if that's part of government's job. Yeah. Uh, then probably this loan forgiveness was actually not a proper use of authority. Yeah. It's probably not an authority they had to and, do that. And maybe too many people wrongly think of the government can be run like a family and that President Biden's some yeah. sort of weird father figure. I don't mean weird in the sense that he's weird, even though maybe that's the case, but uh, just that, you know, that patriarchal type of setup yeah, doesn't he, really work. He, he is creepy Joe, but that that's all right. So uh, I wanted to talk about today, the prodigal son and what, what led me to this uh, topic, uh, thinking about it for the podcast was I was preparing for a men's Bible study uh, and made a connection that I hadn't before. And so in the men's Bible study, we, we weren't reading the prodigal son. We were actually reading uh, the gospel of Luke chapter 11. And there's this exchange, you know, as often happens in the Gospels between Jesus and the Pharisees and the lawyers. And he's basically, they, they're they upset with Jesus because he didn't wash his hands. And Jesus uh, replies to the Pharisees and, you know, he says, you know, woe to you for this, woe to you for that. Uh, he says, woe to them three times for the things that they've done, which, you know, in Hebrew, this was an exclamation mark. They didn't have punctuation, so they had repetition instead. And then the lawyers who are, you know, the they're basically, uh, they're not Pharisees, but they're sort of Jewish lawyers who look at the law. They say, well, wait, wait, Jesus, be careful. You're insulting us too. And Jesus says, well, woe to you guys too. Uh, and one of the things that he says to them really threw me off. I had to think hard about it. And so I'll read this from the NIV word, Luke 11, uh, 47 through 50, something 51-ish. Uh, he says this to the lawyers, woe to you because you have built the tombs for the prophets and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you build the tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. 
Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be responsible for all. And so I think, you know, what threw me off with this is that actually as Christians, we generally don't think of sin this way. Uh, in fact, there's other places where people ask Jesus, like, well, why is this guy blind? Was it this mom who sinned, his dad who sinned? And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not how it works. And so there's this weird thing going on here where it seems like Jesus is blaming the lawyers for something their parents did. Uh, and so I, I don't know, do you, anybody have any thoughts or reactions to that? Is that what you heard or did you hear something else? Did anybody able to parse any other meanings? It's like maybe the first lawyer joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the first three lawyer jokes right here. What are the lawyers? Um, I mean, it made me think of, uh, going back to Adam, a lot of people in today's world think that, of course, that that's not fair. I, I don't have to pay for what they did, right? I get a fresh, clean start and I'm sin-free as a baby and come into this world uh, with a fresh start. And that's I, not what the Bible says that we've, uh, Adam at the, Adam and Eve at the start created sin. We live in a sinful world. We are, we are sinful beings. And I like the way my pastor used to say, uh, it doesn't take long to actually see that happen. Watch a couple toddlers and their innocence and they start stealing toys pretty quickly at age uh, 1.5. And yeah. uh, you start to see some uh, some of those things with our little uh, innocent children. So I think that you are pointing out a correct but different uh, view generally embraced by Christians, which is this idea of like original sin. And, you know, everything from Roman Catholics to evangelical Protestants have this idea that because of what Adam did, we have this predisposition to sinning and no one is free from this predisposition. But Jesus is, it sounds like, and by the way, I don't think he's saying what people think he's saying here uh, when they first hear it, but it sounds like Jesus is saying, you, not only do you have a predisposition to sin, but you're actually responsible for some sins that other people did in the past. And this is like, a, it was a very confusing thing to me because first off, it just doesn't seem fair, right? right? Uh, yeah. And it doesn't seem consistent with other things Jesus has said. So sometimes when you hear in the Bible, something doesn't sound fair, maybe you just have a bad interpretation of what fairness is. But when it seems to contradict other things in the Bible, then you've got to ask yourself, well, what on earth is going on here? And so- All right, pretty good teaser. What, yeah, what do you got? Let's, let's unpack this. So I, I think what's going on here, I think the lawyers and the Pharisees are actually responsible for the same sin that Cain is responsible for, uh, you know, Cain and Abel, the two brothers, which we'll get into, and that the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son is responsible for. And so this same sin exists throughout history, and it's the sin that Jesus is identifying. So actually, he's not attributing them to them a particular uh, instance of the sin, but he's highlighting that that same sin throughout history persists in them. And it's not just killing. It's not the legalistic thing. So think back to the story of Cain and Abel. Does anybody know the story? Have, have like a general understanding of like why Cain killed Abel? What's the big deal? First murder ever. Why did it happen? Yeah, give, a, give us a rundown. I, I'm, jealousy comes to mind. Um, yeah. That, so. Wasn't it because uh, God blessed Cain? Or Abel, and then Cain was upset and jealous. And yeah. So. yeah, so so the story is like these two brothers bring their offerings to God, and basically God likes Abel's offering of, like, meat. He offers meat. Uh, and then Cain br brings his offering of, like, vegetables and fruit, vegetation, stuff like this. And God doesn't like Cain's offering. And the Bible is not, you know, very explicit about, like, God's reasoning. 
But we learn from other places in the Bible, other stories later, Paul says, and there's also some stuff in the New Testament or the Old Testament that alludes to the fact that it didn't really have to do with God, like really likes meat and really doesn't like vegetables. <laughs> like the, this is not the point of the story. Well, we can't be sure. Well, the, I, I, if anything, there's some evidence of that, right? Uh, but it's not about that. It's about the attitude mm -hmm. at which these two people brought their offerings. And actually the proof of that, you know, we, we don't even have to speculate. The proof of that is that Cain is so enraged by this fact that God didn't accept his offering that he goes and kills his brother out of jealousy. Russ is right. This is like a jealousy thing. He He's very mad at God for not accepting his offering. And so he kills his brother. Notice what's behind that sin, though, or behind that way of acting. It's actually like a pretty natural thing that people feel. Cain felt like he had worked and earned something. And so he thought that by working and putting forth effort into this offering, I've earned some sort of praise or I've earned some sort of respect. This feeling that you can earn things and things will be justly given to you is really uh, deeply rooted uh, in human beings. A meritocracy. Yeah, a meritocracy. The problem is uh, when you try to impose that way of thinking on God. If you say to yourself, well, I have done something such that the person who created me and all things owes me something, you've put yourself in a really weird position, almost in a higher position than that which is prior or like necessarily more important to you. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of like an inversion. It, it, it's uh, turning the world upside down uh, in a way that do it doesn't really make sense. So another example of this is like, it, sometimes my kids will bring me things like Cedar will draw me something on, on a piece of paper or she'll, she'll make something out of like old papers and she'll bring it to me. Uh, or she'll take my old stuff that she knows is broken and like try to like tie a ribbon around it or whatever. And she'll, she'll, bring, <laughs> she'll bring it to me and she'll be like, oh, I, I fixed this for you. And there, what I appreciate about that isn't the thing that she gave me because I actually already had that thing, right? Uh, I have the paper. I can draw way better than her still, at least for now. Uh, none of that was really from her. I appreciate the attitude, right? To me, the, the beneficial thing is that she brought it to me, not expecting something in return, but because, you know, she loved me and wanted to show it. In fact, if when you're a parent, when your kids do things and clearly they want something in return, that kind of sours the entire thing, mm -hmm. right? And so sometimes like Cedar will be like, hey, dad, I was really nice to my sister today. It's like, do you want a cookie? Like, well, <laughs> yeah, congratulations on meeting minimum expectations. Be nice to people. That's what we got to do. Uh, if it's clearly aimed at getting something, uh, as a parent, you're, you're frustrated by this because it, you, the implication of that statement is you as a parent owe, owe something to me as a child for what I've done, uh, when it, that really isn't the case at all. Mm -hmm. And so that's the sin of Cain. Now, I, I wanted to bring up the veg versus the meat, and I think you're getting at the God knows the heart, right? Yes. And that maybe Cain was holding back the meat somewhat selfishly for himself. Uh, and like gave the lesser thing and like, maybe this will be good at kind of like your minimum acceptable thing. Maybe this will be good enough to get God's blessing if I just give the veg because I really want that meat for a nice sandwich tomorrow. Yeah. So I, I don't know. So Cain was a, a gardener and okay. so he probably didn't have any meat. But you are right where when God praises Abel, he says he's praising that he bought, brought the best yeah. of his uh, <clears throat> crop and this is or the best of his work. Yeah. And this is not something that is said of Cain. And so we can sort of infer from that. We can make an inference that whatever Cain brought, it wasn't his best. Again, it's not that like God really likes, you know, goats and yeah. sheep. 
uh, and doesn't really like broccoli. <laughs> it's that Cain didn't bring the best of what he had. And again, more evidence of this is the fruit that Cain was so frustrated and so jealous. He he felt like he earned it. In reality, he didn't. And this jealousy, this frustration led to this murder. And so this connects to, first off, our story with Jesus here. When he's criticizing the Pharisees and the lawyers, some context I, I, I didn't really give uh, is that he criticizes first the experts in law for saying that he, they give people a load that they cannot carry, uh, and then they themselves won't touch the load with a single finger. And so the Pharisees believed, and the, the lawyers believed, that by acting a certain way or fulfilling certain laws, they could earn things. This is transactional again. It's not relational. It's transactional. That if we maintain the letter of the law, then we uh, get something in return. And this is how most people think about heaven. If, yeah. if you ask a person on the street, are you going to heaven? What's their answer going to be? I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, I'm a pretty good person, right? I have done something or not done some things that that are going to lead to me getting something in exchange and so it's this weird transactional view that people uh hold yeah of all the world religions and we're the only kind of grace-based uh not meritocracy with kind of non-works and then if we drag the catholics into this i think they get kind of hung up on that but we'll leave that aside but christianity <laughs> Levi's not here to, to defend them so uh we, we can't we can't do that too hard but uh, yes justin could defend yeah. uh and that's the way you know to bring a little econ in i mean that's the way economics works right we're, we're kind of it's all like we get a lot of efficiency a lot of great things in the world having a meritocracy where what you earn is what you get and you work together and you know we can sprinkle private charity and other things into there but a lot of what runs our economy is trade and and you are i do this for you you do this for me some bilateral uh agreements with each other yeah i think actually and to defend the catholics i actually think there are uh places in the catechism where they are pretty clear about uh this exactly which is that they'll they will say uh now whether or not this is completely consistent against catholicism is where i would have an issue but they will say something like Salvation is due to God and is not due to the things that yeah. you do. Like no, they, they are, they they are pretty straightforward. You're In fact, right. the reason I bring it up is one of the great quotes that I think summarizes this idea very well that, uh, you know, is by a, a female Catholic author, author. Actually, I don't know if it's female. I, I feel like I learned this in high school. Sinead O'Connor. Is that right? Uh, she's like an Irish Catholic yeah. author. Yeah, she works with the print. So she's an old artist that worked with singer. Uh, yeah. A singer? Yeah. Oh, okay. She, no, she, you might be thinking of somebody. Else. Oh. Yeah. So maybe <laughs> maybe Flannery O'Connor. Maybe that's Flannery it. O'Connor. Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I like Sinead O'Connor too. About ready to she, break she, down she has, song she has the song. She has the song about mermaids. Now it's all coming back. Yeah. But Flannery O'Connor. Uh, <laughs> so Flannery O'Connor, uh, in his story, was describing uh, basically a modern Pharisee. She was describing uh, a a guy who was very legalistic, and the way she did it is she said. Uh, the way that this person lived their life is they were sure that the best way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. That was the description of the character. And this is like a really profound insight about the character of the Pharisees here and the character of Cain. They wanted to avoid the relationship and the dependence on, you know, God or a savior. And the way that they were going to do that is by creating a code of rules that they could follow to feel as if they actually earned that thing themselves without help. Yeah. So you either earn it yourself or you have a savior. Now, I don't think it's possible to earn it yourself, but, uh, you know, that that's what people that's your, our predisposition. We want to earn things ourselves. We don't want to be helped out. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, this looks like a good spot for a break. Peter, where are you going to take us in the second half? Uh, I think we talked about the prodigal son. So yeah, it's I been a lot of lead up to the parable yeah, that, itself. That was the build up to it. So yeah. All right. Great. We'll be back in just a bit. Party Institute is offering free economics classes to homeschool students in the Ottawa area. Uh, in these classes, we'll cover things like scarcity, supply and demand, and some common economic fallacies. We're running through our first course right now, the first section with students, and they're really enjoying it. If you're interested in having a class for yourself or one of your children, uh, please contact Peter, Justin, or us today. Ottawa University has an exciting new major. PPE, which stands for Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. Each of these three fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical, if you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles, if you are interested in politics, but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for free enterprise education and its contribution to human flourishing, faith and economics in action. We have some great high school student programs like PPE Fest. This is an event where students get to listen to some world-renowned speakers and then participate in competition geared around philosophy, politics, and economics. Our everyday economics program is just a half day on a Saturday and we will have an integrated discussion about common sense economics. We have a college credit microeconomics course that runs every eight weeks. Your high school student can earn college credit for the special price of $200. If you know some students interested in programs like these, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or reoccurring donation. Please visit the Gortney page on the Ottawa website. All right, we're back. So uh, we got to dip our toe here in, more into the prodigal son story. But before we do that, um, Justin, you wanted to throw something at Peter and see how he responds. Uh, let's, yeah, let's break him. Let's so break him. Uh, I don't think this, uh, <laughs> you know, you two have been uh, talking about a bunch of things. And, you know, jealousy has come in there. Envy, um, this attempt to create a set of rules or this idea that you can do things on your own. But it seems to me that, uh, you know, if we're talking about the single thing that these, especially the prodigal son and the Cain story have in common, and I think this is what you're trying to put your finger on, is it's not the jealousy and it's not the envy and it's not even necessarily this idea that you can do things on your own. It's a kind of attempted usurpation of authority. Um, this idea that, uh, you know, in the Cain case, you know, when Cain slew Abel, um, he was uh, uh, trying to judge that which can't be judged and needs to be merely accepted. The relationship, the proper relationship between humans and God is that God does the judging. God dictates and we accept, right? Mm -hmm. um, and is is that, am I, am I getting that right? That that's the actual mistake that's being made in these cases? Um, yes, I, I would say that the mis to rephrase the mistake that is being made is that people believe or throughout history, people have believed that they are able to put God in a position where God owes them something. And so we, we could call that usurpation, usurpation of authority to a certain extent. Uh, and so you're owed something uh, like, you know, because I'm a good person, I'm owed heaven. 
And what happens when you believe you're owed something and you don't get it? Well, listeners in your own life, by the way, sometimes you have been righteously owed things, right? Like if you, uh, you know, someone took out a debt uh, and you lent them money, you are owed that money in response. And what happens when you don't, don't get the money back? Well, you get mad, right? Or if uh, a court, you know, would decide that, ah, actually, that person doesn't owe you any money, you'd get very frustrated with the judge. You would say that, you know, this judge is nuts, absolutely crazy. And so the, the jealousy aspect is a, like a fruit of this, like the, the frustration that Cain feels towards Abel is a reflection of his feeling that, well, God owes me something, right? Yeah, but it, and it, my point is like something like it would still be as uh, a sin if Cain was said something like, I forgive you, God. Yeah, but, yes, yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, uh, you're, you're right. The, the fruit can look different, right? Uh, but yeah. the, the underlying sin committed by the Pharisees and committed by uh, Cain is they believe they can put God in a position of owing them something, right? Yeah. Uh, which is just like a, a child, you know, saying, well, you owe me this to their parents. Uh, unless, you know, even you're in a weird circumstance that this just isn't naturally the case. Which is really against the first commandment. Yeah. Right? Put God above all else. Yeah, that's right. God, so. Yeah. And I, I think the prodigal son gets us there too. And so uh, listeners for an explanation, and this is not my unique insight, by the way, that this part of the story, uh, the prodigal son has been analyzed really well. A, po a really popular book when I became a Christian was A Prodigal God by Tim Keller. And the point of the book, or at least one of the central points of the books is we call this parable the prodigal son, uh, but that's not actually a title that's in the Bible. This is like a title we've assigned oh, to yeah. it. And it's a deceptive title is, is Keller's point. And so it, listeners, if you haven't, if you don't remember the prodigal son, the basic idea is a younger brother says to the father, hey, dad, I don't want to live in your house anymore. I want you to give me your inheritance or give me my inheritance and I'm going to leave. Uh, and this would have been uh, back in that culture, a very disrespectful thing to do. To do, you could have been put to death for saying something. But of course, discounted by the time value money. So whatever. Yeah. Is here. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if they did right. discounting back then. Um, okay. But but basically, what this son said is, uh, I want to treat you as if you were dead legally, and I want to go out and do the things that I want to do. And so the father accepts this, which again, you know, uh, is actually pretty surprising uh, given, you know, the culture back then. Uh, again, a father could literally bring the son before the community and say, this, this kid wants me dead. You know, he's disrespected me. Uh, we should stone this kid. Uh, and so, you know, he goes off parties, loses all of his money, uh, realizes that, hey, you know, I've screwed up. I ruined my life. But, you know, the servants in my dad's house have a lot of food, at least. So I'm going to go back and be a servant. I'm not going to ask to be a son again. I'm going to go back and be a servant. And this was after, I mean, I can't remember if it says exactly, but that, it was a long period of yes, time. Yeah. Like, uh, years or a year, I, I, can't, years. I, can't I can't remember, remember if it says it, but it, it implies that yeah. it was a long period yeah, of time. He travels to a far land yeah. and stuff. Yeah. You know, this this is a pretty significant amount of time. <laughs> And he returns, and again, his pitch is, all right, I'm just going to like be a servant in this house forever, never going to return to my different status. Before he even finishes this proposal, his father interrupts him uh, and basically offers him sp his spot back in the family. And so there's something really interesting about this that is often not considered is, if you have a spot back in the family, you have an inheritance again. Uh, and so that means the brother got his inheritance, probably land, sold it. And so the father has less land. And now he's being made a part owner of the inheritance. Well, there's more than one brother here, right? And so someone is very upset about this. Uh, the older brother who didn't leave his father is very bothered by the fact that the younger brother has come back. He's now taken some of this older brother's inheritance. 
And there's this big party being thrown for the younger brother because the, the father says, my son was dead and is alive and he's celebrating. Uh, which if you're a parent, you can relate to this. Maybe, maybe as like a younger person, you're frustrated by this story. I know I was. But as a parent, you relate. Imagine your kid goes off and they're leading this terrible life that you know is going to lead them to be unhappy ultimately. And then one day they return to you and like this is your chance to redeem things and for them to be part of your family again. That would be amazing. Uh, I think any parent would, in their right minds would do the same thing, not like turn around and say, nah, get out of here, you scumbag or anything like that. Uh, so the brother goes, refuses to come to the party again. This would have been a big cultural smack in the face of the father. And so he, the father comes to him and he talks to the son. And what is the son's response? The son's response is, I've worked for you for all these years and you never even gave me uh, a, a small party for my friends with like a small goat. You know, he's basically saying, you're giving this huge party to my brother. You've never given one to me. Same sin. This is the father owes me something because of what I've done for the father. I've worked for you for years. He says this basically verbatim. Mm -hmm. And so the point, Keller's point in the book, and uh, the point that connects across these three instances, Cain, the Pharisees, and by the way, uh, this story is told right after the Pharisees say that, oh, this guy eats with sinners. Uh, so they say that, and Jesus tells this little parable. So it's not really about the younger brother. That's what we think. It's about that we think, oh, it's about the part of your kid coming back and being forgiven. The story is actually directed at the Pharisees, and it is about the older brother who feels like he's earned the seat at the table, just like the Pharisees believe they've earns you know god's favor by doing the right things and being the, the jewish bloodline and all these other things they think earns them a spot and what keller points out is well no th this is uh this is wrong uh ultimately jesus's message is actually you don't have a shot at like earning any of this right. just like cain couldn't earn any of it uh and it has to be a it has to be given it's a gift the things that you get are gifts just like uh when my kids bring them paper and, and crayons, I appreciate the motivation, but ultimately those things were a gift for me in the first place. Uh, so this is sort of like this unified theme. And so when Jesus is talking here to these people, he's not literally blaming them for those exact murders. What he's saying is what caused those murders is the exact same thing that is causing, that will cause you to kill me, basically, he says, uh, which is that you are jealous uh, or not jealous. You, you feel Justin's going to crack you. You feel in a position where you've earned something in particular. And once some, someone points out that you have not, that your inside is dirty, which is what Jesus charges them with, rather than, you know, they're mad at him because his hands are dirty. And Jesus says, well, your inside is dirty. Uh, even if you show the right things on the outside, your inside's dirty. You're, it's never going to be clean enough. And so you, you need to be given something from God. You can't expect something in return. And so it's this consistent theme that's basically at the center of the gospel. It's at the center of all the gospels is, is Jesus's challenge to the Pharisees is really a deep level of you actually can't do the things that you claim to do. You can't fulfill the burdens that you put on other people yourselves. So. Well, I always looked at that story a little bit like uh, the sinner who comes to Christ near their deathbed. Let's just say whatever age, 60, 70, it doesn't really matter. Versus the person who uh, was a Christian um, back in their 20s. And they kind of looked and said, oh, it's not fair. He Look at all the fun yeah. sinning things he did for 40 years. And now we're both going to end up in heaven in the same place, right? And so I think there's always some of those lessons of, uh, you, you, I hate to use the word injustice. It's an injustice from our human view but it's not from God's view. Yeah. And I think so that <clears throat> Keller really breaks this down into there are in the world, he thinks older and younger brothers. And like, this is a natural thing. 
And one of actually the scary parts of the prodigal son story is you actually are not told the ends. It's left there. The brother is outside the party. The mm -hmm. father invites him in and we're not told what happens. Uh, the Pharisees, most of them do not repent. In fact, they join in the idea of killing Jesus. And then after Jesus comes there, they support the killing of the apostles while they're spreading the church. And so there's this weird thing where a lot of Christians today probably are kind of like these older brother types where you want to live the moral right life and all this stuff. But the older brother types are actually in a worse position in most of Jesus's stories. <laughs> like they're the ones who are an ambiguous stop, the spot. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's really easy for a sick person to know that they need a doctor. Someone yeah. who's like really outwardly sick, your arms falling off, that sort of thing. You go to the doctor. Someone who thinks that they're well or can convince themselves that they're well will say, I don't need a doctor. I'm taking good care of myself, right? Yeah. We all know these people. And so there's this, like this kind of consistent theme. Uh, and so th this is a wake up call, uh, I think for a lot of Christians, if you in your life feel constantly resentful about the other things that people are getting, <clears throat> if other people's good news makes you unhappy because you're like, well, I'm doing all this good stuff. Why doesn't that good stuff happen to me? Why, why do bad things happen to me? I'm a good person. It's the same sin. Uh, and that doesn't mean you're not a Christian necessarily, but it means there there's something going on in your heart that's not quite right. So I think from the Lutheran Church perspective, um, Missouri Synod, that, that's part of the purpose of the sacraments and, and regularly attending church. Um, so the sacraments are external. Um, the body and blood of Christ comes to you and you hear the word of God and you hear you're forgiven. And so those are um, reminders to help kind of help build your build your spirit in the right way that you don't think that, that you, that you're, uh, oh, why does, you know, they get to use their life or you start to uh, drift is what I yeah. like to say as a, as a Christian and drift away from that grace message. And so I think, um, cause a lot of people say, oh, I don't need to go to church. You know, I've got other things to do because I, uh, and, and the truth of the matter is you don't, need to go to church, but be careful because you might just start to drift and Satan has other plans for you. And, and it might just be enough for you to be in a position in your life later in life to where I owe, God owes me something. I have been good, right? I've, I've kind of come up with my own structure of the way to live my life and it's a good life and people tell me i'm good and i'm a good person yeah you know uh another good biblical illustration of of exactly what you're saying there is uh there's this thing that a lot of people are upset about nowadays in fact some people uh will call them deconstructionist christians uh, which i i would say that consistently believed it's not a christian belief uh, but there, there will be like preachers who will preach that Jesus sinned. And, and here's the example of when Jesus sinned. There's a lady who came up to Jesus and asked for his, I think his healing, but his help of some form. And he said uh, something along the, the lines of like, well, you know, do we give the best food to the dogs? And she, she's like a, a Gentile. And so the thought is, oh, Jesus is being this really, you know, evil person. And he's saying that she's less because she is not Jewish and she's a woman and all this stuff. Uh, and she responds, well, even the dogs get the scraps from the yeah, table. You know. and, and Jesus basically tells her, you've said rightly. And so actually what Jesus provokes out of her with this comment, he, he's not, he doesn't actually hold back his gifts from her. But what he shows, what he highlights in contrast with, again, the, Phar the Pharisee way of looking at things, uh, is that this desire of like, whatever I get from God is actually what I deserve. And like this, this recognition that you're right, you know, I, I am not the best in the world. I've made all these mistakes. I'm happy with whatever you give me, you know, the, scrap, the scraps of the table. Yeah. And so, you know, I would say, yeah, you don't 
have to go to church, but you probably should want to, just like Abel wanted to, you know, give the best from, you know, his offering to God. It's because that, you know, it's, it's what's proper. It's, it's the place. Is it, uh, so the view, I think you find this in, in Kierkegaard actually too, um, it's with his conception of the night of faith as somebody that uh, views uh, faith as a gift constantly mm -hmm. um, and is uh, constantly aware of the fact that his faith is a gift yeah. Right? Yeah. so Kierkegaard is just and says that this like is infectious and you can actually tell you can Kierkegaard has this passage right you can just tell from the way they walk right the, Kierkegaard uh, the good Lutheran I might add uh, well yeah. <laughs> uh, we're all a product of our time so <laughs> debatable whether <laughs> yeah um and uh so but then you said something and I'm wondering whether or not you, so you said, whatever we get from God is what we deserve. And I wonder if it's, uh, does dessert even come into it or is it just whatever we get from God is a gift and, uh, we don't even, so does that make sense? Uh, I, I would eliminate yeah, the I, deserve in general. I, I know what, I know what you're saying. Um, I, I would say anything good that we get from God is a gift. I would say that there are people who don't get gifts from God. And I think that that's right too. So you, there almost still is a place for people receiving what is just mm -hmm. according to God's eternity. And I don't want to get too big into like this ultimate, like free will versus, you know, non-free will. You know, there's some people destined to hell and is that That'll fair? That's definitely be that, that sort of podcast. thing. Uh, yeah, that, that would be its whole own podcast. The rain falls on the just and the unjust um, as far as there is good. Whatever's good comes from God. And that does actually, there's the common grace, I think it's referred yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, we, we all get gifts. I, so I, what I would say is the distribution of gifts yeah. from God is first Unable. best. That's what I would say. It's not second best. We haven't gotten like, Ooh, we're in a bad world and God messed up. And, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because God messed up, we're getting, you know, our friends get good things. And we don't. And that's really unfair. I think everybody gets what's the the distribution that should be. Uh, so so that would be my comment. And I, I think uh, I agree with Kierkegaard. Uh, Kierkegaard's ultimate point there, as I see it, is like even your faith, which in Christianity is like the real, the center of a Christian is their faith in Jesus and what he's done for them. Kierkegaard's point, I think it sounds like, is that even your faith is not really your yeah. action yeah. that you've done something, but yeah. it actually is like just something that you've received. And like the yeah. gratefulness is the response, right? To someone who's received for a, as a gift everything that they have, gratefulness characterizes their life. So yeah, I, I absolutely agree with Kierkegaard yeah. uh, and that interpretation is being similar. So. Yeah. Uh, so I got one to pose to you that's kind of perplexed me. I, and you have to help me out maybe with the Bible verse exactly. But there's there's one that says there'll be different rooms prepared in heaven. And it was a little bit merit-based, if I remember right. It, I can't remember the context exactly. And I don't know if I'm throwing this out in left field to you. But um, uh, the gist of it was yeah. there's going to be different goodnesses of heaven. This one's going to be I've prepared, you know, for the people who were, let's call them the do-gooders, uh, yeah. really you know, and, and there's a little bit of a merit-based thing that always has kind of confused me with that. Yes, yeah, so this verse perplexes a lot of people, and it is mysterious. And there's other verses like this. Uh, store up your treasure in heaven is another one. Like, how could you, uh, the general idea is like, well, you should be looking towards heaven, not towards the, the future. But like, what, did, what would it mean for there to be treasure in heaven apart from getting there? I think that there's enough Bible verses about this to infer that there is some sort of reward uh, for... Uh, you know, this is really like talked about with specific reference, like pastors and leaders of of the church is that like it does seem like in following God more closely that people can have some sort of 
other reward. But that reward has nothing to do or or at least is not uh doesn't operate the same way as like salvation, like actually getting right. to know God and experience God fully. Now, uh, to be totally honest with you, I don't understand what that means because to me, it seems like being a janitor in heaven would be just as good as being like uh, a general or something. Yeah. Uh, maybe ahead. they'll let you use the good mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like a toothbrush versus like a, a street cleaner. I don't know. And there won't be too much sweat on your brow. So that mop just, you just do a couple swipes and the, the floor is clean. I don't know. Yeah, but but I, I, I think the, regardless, the feature is, it's not actually what you do. It's not a reward for your action. I think it's a reward from the heart. This is ultimately what Jesus is getting at. He says in response to the Pharisees on the, like this washing your hands thing or washing your cup thing, he says, well, if your heart is clean, then everything will be clean to you. Yeah. And so, in other words, if you have a heart attitude that is putting God first and putting yourself in your proper position relative to God, well, then actually, like, you you will choose the right thing. You do will do the right thing. It's not because you want to check off the list. It's because your attitude will actually lead to the fruit in your life. You know, that verse, I want to go back and reread that because it, it might be speaking to something along the lines of that in heaven we're still going to kind of live a life that's going to be similar to what we're doing now, which yeah. means we'll have uniqueness among us and we'll pursue our comparative advantage, but there won't be any sin. So yeah. uh, that's again, probably in a whole nother podcast, but it, that, that part might say is at least uh, acknowledging that when you get to heaven, we're not in all perfect equality bliss. Like we're just, you know, hearing the the music play and the white right. light, yeah. and, and the, we're all equally the harps and the clouds. Yeah, and we're all equally sharing yeah, something yeah. that uh, that there's still going to be some differences. Yeah. So I don't know if people are ready to wrap up, but uh, my last thought on this is uh, this is, a, in my view, actually a very anti-economist, uh, at least in a narrow sense, uh, way of looking at things. There's an economist, Glenn Lowry. Uh, he was, uh, I think, the first African-American who was a tenured economics professor at Harvard University. And he wrote a relatively famous uh, piece. I think it was a speech initially, a uh, talk that turned into a, a paper called Relations Before Transactions. And the idea of the paper is that we do focus in economics a lot on transactions, on people buying, people selling, on supply and demands. But all of these things that we use to analyze transactions actually have to have in the background or presuppose some sort of like relationship. Mm -hmm. And so more fundamental than buying and selling or owing and borrowing and lending, more fundamental that is having a relationship with people. It gets more abstract the more complicated the society gets. Yeah. But it's true that you cannot have transactions without relations on some level. Uh, it, it's more fundamental. Well, and Adam Smith said this. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And I mean, that we will have a, a better outcomes and the wealth of nations will grow with if we have people that have certain levels of trust and relationships. Yeah, and you, you can't read The Wealth of Nations without understanding he also wrote The Theory of Moral Sentiments. Yeah. And I think the point uh, for, for Christians here or for anyone who's kind of stirred by this message or this thought is that uh, a relationship with God is more fundamental than a, a transaction with God. In fact, the only transaction that exists from God is from him to you. Uh, yeah. there, there's no payback uh, that you can provide, you know, again, the kid drawing the picture. Uh, there's appreciation maybe for your hard attitude and response to that, but ultimately uh, you're given gifts and you can either, you know, accept this in your heart or you can think that you've earned something and be jealous about it. Mm 
Mm -hmm. uh, but I, from Cain to the Pharisees, uh, I don't think that's a super good path. Yeah. Uh, we, we can see. You screw up and you're still in the family and you're forgiven and then you screw up again. And so the relational part kind of gives you this process that it is yeah. um, that might be different than some sort of transactional thing too. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that looks like a good spot to wrap. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for listening. This has been a production of the Gortney Institute here at Ottawa University. A five-star rating helps other people find us, and please forward this along to your friends and family that might enjoy listening. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.